Good morning. I'm reading from Mark 11, verses 1 to 25. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing, untying that colt? They answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest! Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. 
I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Well, hi everyone. It's great uh, to share with you from this passage on Palm Sunday as we look forward uh, to Easter, uh, to Good Friday and Easter Sunday, where we remember Jesus' death and resurrection. And the question that we're going to be asking today from this passage is, how does Jesus reset everything? Uh, if you're like me, you're probably looking forward to getting out of lockdown. But like a lot of people, uh, we've also been thinking about, well, what sort of life are we going to be getting back into? And uh, a lot of people have been doing this, sort of re-evaluating, reassessing what life is going to look like. Doing the rounds on the internet, there's something called the Great Reset, where people are trying to reimagine society itself, uh, what, what the world could look like after this pandemic uh, to make the world a better place, rethinking things like our approach to climate change, um, our approach to economics, politics, social justice, a whole range of really important issues. And people are pushing this idea of the great reset. Let's stop and start again, start something new, do things differently from the way we used to do them before. And people have been doing this in their own personal lives as well. Uh, over the lockdown, people have had an opportunity to kind of look at their lives again and think, hmm, what have I been doing in the past that, that maybe I don't want to be doing anymore? Or what are the things in my life that I've come to realize really matter and I want to spend more time doing that? Uh, people are rethinking uh, their decisions about where they want to work, how they want to work, how much time they want to be working, if they're going to travel into work or if they're going to stay at home more uh, to do their work, rethinking things about how much time they want to spend with their family, rethinking what they want to be doing with their friends. Uh, all over the world, people are thinking about how, after this pandemic, they might reset their lives. But of course, Easter is the great reset. And that's what we're going to see from this passage, that Jesus' death and resurrection is the great reset in human history. And today we're going to have a look at this passage to find out what that means and how we can be a part of this great reset. So let's have a look at the passage. Well, the first thing that we see is that Jesus' death and resurrection ushers in God's kingdom. And we see this uh, right at the start of our passage as Jesus enters Jerusalem. If you remember over the past three chapters, Jesus has been predicting that when he enters into Jerusalem, uh, he's going to be arrested, uh, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be mocked, and he's going to be crucified. And as he comes into Jerusalem, in this chapter, chapter 11 of, of Mark's Gospel, we get a picture of what this is going to mean. And the first thing that we see is that Jesus' death and resurrection means that God's kingdom is going to come into the world. 
And we see this through a series of of signs that Jesus gives as he enters into Jerusalem. Uh, So first of all, uh, we hear this strange thing where Jesus says, look, I want you to go get a donkey. Go get a colt that I can ride into Jerusalem on. Now, this might seem strange to us at first when we read it. Why a donkey? Why a colt? But if we know our Old Testament, then we can see that what Jesus is doing is actually hugely significant. He is making an incredible, an incredibly provocative claim by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And that's because in the Old Testament, in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah the prophet said that God's king would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. So let me read to you from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this prophecy is talking about God's king coming to Jerusalem, coming to the city of God, ushering in God's kingdom. And so as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, he is saying, I am that king who is bringing in God's kingdom. And when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he's welcomed as a victorious, conquering king by his followers. So we're told that people lay down cloaks and branches as a way of showing homage to Jesus as their king. And what they cry out is very significant. Uh, These are very loaded phrases that they cry out. Uh, So they shout, Hosanna, which means God saves. It has on view that God's salvation is coming as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And they also cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now again, this is from the Old Testament. This is from Psalm 118. And in this psalm, the psalmist is celebrating God's victory over his enemies. And then finally they shout out, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And again, back in the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promised David that there will be a descendant that comes after him who would rule on his throne forever. You see, God promised that his kingdom would come through David's descendant and this kingdom would have no end. And as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, this symbol of God's king, bringing in God's kingdom, the people around Jesus are shouting these phrases that are saying, this is God's king and God's kingdom is arriving with him. And so what is Jesus saying as he enters into Jerusalem? He is saying, I am God's king and I am bringing in God's kingdom. And of course, This is what we've read all throughout Mark's gospel. Uh, The very word gospel is a a word that means a a proclamation of a great life-changing event, a great reset. That's really what gospel means. It means a great reset. Uh, So when Julius Caesar's adopted son, Octavian, became Emperor Augustine, he sent out a gospel, a message to the Roman world, proclaiming that he is their ruler. He is their king. He is what he fashioned himself as the prince of peace. But all throughout this gospel, Mark has been proclaiming a different gospel. He has been saying, actually, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king of the world. And he is bringing in a completely different kingdom, not a Roman empire, but God's kingdom to earth. 
And Jesus says this himself. He begins his ministry by saying in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. And so this is what we see. Jesus is making a huge claim here. He is claiming the great reset, that he is God's king, bringing in God's kingdom. But of course, only a few days later, this king of the Jews is going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be mocked. And he's going to be crucified. And if you were there at the time, I'm sure you would be wondering, what kind of a king is this? What sort of a kingdom is he meant to be bringing in? What, what sort of great reset is this meant to be? if he dies this humiliating death on the cross. And yet as we read on, we come to see that actually this is how Jesus brings about his great reset. This is how Jesus ushers in God's kingdom. Think about it. By dying and rising again, Jesus deals with our biggest problem, sin, by dying on the cross to take away the punishment for our sin. He deals with our biggest enemy, the devil, by taking away any chance for him to accuse us of sin. And he deals with our greatest threat, death, by rising from the dead and offering eternal life to everybody who trusts in him. You see, this is Jesus' great reset by dying and rising again. And so God begins to build his kingdom here on earth today as people put their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and as they come under the lordship of Jesus by following him and obeying his commands. This is God's great reset. Not through a Roman army or a political revolution or a social justice movement, but through the death and resurrection of Jesus. God's kingdom is established here on earth. But like any great reset, it's not just about a new beginning. It's also about the old ending. And in our next part of the passage, we see that Jesus' death and resurrection brings an end to corrupt, dead religion. So in the next part of our passage, Jesus enters Jerusalem a second time. Now, we'll get to the bit about the fig tree in a minute and and come to see what that's all about. But I want to start when Jesus enters into Jerusalem and arrives at the temple. Now, the temple was meant to be a place where people met with God. It was where people could come near to God and pray to him. And it was where people would offer sacrifices to God to find forgiveness from him. The temple was the place where people would have a relationship with with God. But when Jesus enters the temple, what does he see? Nothing but corrupt, dead religion. Uh, We're told that people were using the temple for nothing more than trying to make money. Jesus says that the temple was meant to be a house of prayer for the nations, but instead it had become a den of robbers. Now, this scene of the temple sits in between this bizarre account of Jesus and the fig tree. On his way to the temple, Jesus stops and he sees this fig tree and it has no fruit. And so Jesus curses it. 
And as we read on, we come to see that this fig tree is really a metaphor for the temple and more broadly a metaphor for the old, dead, corrupt sort of religion that was going on at the time. You see, the fig tree had no fruit. And that's exactly what dead religion is like. It bears no fruit. It brings about no change in a person's life. There is no great reset that happens with dead religion. It might offer all the trappings of spirituality. There might be a beautiful church, flowing robes, angelic choirs, sweet-smelling incense. But on the inside, in people's hearts, there is nothing. It's all just one big sham. In the place of true faith is dead religion. It is a fig tree with no fruit. And so when Jesus returns from the temple, Peter notices that the fig tree that Jesus has cursed has now withered. Literally, it's died at its roots. And what we're meant to see is that Jesus is, is saying through, through what he's done to the fig tree that with his coming, with his death and resurrection, it not only brings about the new era of God's kingdom, but it also means an end, a death, to that dead, corrupt religion. Jesus is saying there is going to be a new way in which we will relate to God and be fruitful in our lives, have a great reset in our lives. But of course, again, it doesn't look like this a few days later, does it? Far from Jesus destroying corrupt, dead religion, it's corrupt, dead religion that destroys Jesus. And yet, we know as we read on that it is through Jesus' death and resurrection that Jesus brings an end to dead religion. Because by dying and rising again, Jesus makes a new way for us to come to God. Not through a corrupt temple, but through the incorruptible Jesus. See, Jesus is the true temple of God. It's through him that we can be forgiven completely of our sins and have access to God. It's through him that people of all nations can now come before God and pray. Jesus is the house of prayer for all nations. And so in Jesus, we have the great reset. No longer dead religion that can't bring you to God, but true faith in Christ that brings you into a relationship with God. And as we come to God through Jesus, Jesus begins to change us. He changes not the outside of us, but the inside of us. He changes our heart through his spirit. And so we begin to see fruit in our lives. Faith in Christ is not a fig tree with no fruit. It is a blossoming tree full of the fruit of the spirit. And this is the great reset that Jesus is bringing about. So what have we seen so far? We've seen that the Great Reset means Jesus bringing in God's kingdom. And we've also seen that the Great Reset means Jesus bringing an end to dead, corrupt religion. But our passage ends on a rather strange note. 
Having made these incredible claims about what his death and resurrection is going to bring, Jesus then turns to his disciples and he tells them two very important things. Have faith in God and pray. Now, the bit about prayer in particular seems a bit confusing and hard for us to understand. Jesus says that if you believe in God, you could say to a mountain, throw yourself into the sea and it would happen. Jesus says, whatever you ask for in prayer, if you believe it, it will be yours. Now, we need to balance these verses with other verses in the Bible that talk about prayer as well to help us understand that Jesus is not just randomly offering some blanket advice about prayer after these big days in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus isn't saying, if you believe that you'll have a million pounds in your bank account next week, it will happen. That's not what Jesus is saying. No, we need to read this in the context of what has just happened. Remember, Jesus is talking about the Great Reset. Because the Great Reset, the ushering in of God's kingdom, the end to that corrupt, dead religion, it probably seemed impossible to the disciples. It probably seemed as likely as a mountain being thrown into the sea. And Jesus knew what was about to happen to him as well. When Jesus would be arrested and crucified on the cross, it would seem even less likely to the disciples that this great reset would happen. Rather, it would look like all has failed. And at that moment, Jesus wants his disciples to know that they need to trust in God and pray. Anything is possible with God. He can bring about this great reset. And so he tells his disciples, trust in God and pray. And I think that Mark includes this section here for us because this is still good advice for us today. And the reason for that is because the Bible makes clear that the great reset, God's great reset, is both now and not yet. What do I mean by that? When Jesus died and rose again, he established his kingdom here on earth now. His kingdom is established and it continues to grow every time somebody puts their trust in Jesus and turns to him as their Lord. But we're also told in the Bible that at the same time, we're still waiting for God's kingdom to fully arrive. Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come. We're still looking forward to that day when Jesus will return and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, the coming of God's kingdom is now, now that Jesus has died and risen again. But it's also not yet. We're still waiting for Jesus to return and for God's kingdom to be fully established on earth. And I don't know about you, but... I think these days it can feel a lot more not yet than now, can't it? Think about how Mark's original readers of his gospel would have felt. A small band of probably Roman Christians secretly huddled around in a house church, probably watching great Roman triumphs process down the streets. And here they were, this little insignificant group believing, actually, I don't think Caesar is king. I think Jesus is king, and he's established his kingdom already. They needed to hear those words, didn't they? Trust in God. 
pray. And I think we can feel the same way today. Shrinking churches, growing secularism, greater persecution. You know, it, it often doesn't feel like God's kingdom is here or even coming soon. And so for us, this is a great encouragement. Trust in God and pray. Pray for God's kingdom to come. Pray for God's kingdom to come in the here and now as people turn to Jesus and are saved. Pray for God's kingdom to come in the ultimate sense when Jesus returns and every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. And of course, the same can be said for the end of corrupt, dead religion. Jesus has brought this new way for us to relate to God, a living faith that actually produces fruit in our life. But at the same time, we do feel the not yet of that as well. We have the spirit living inside of us, and yet we still struggle so much with sin, and we still struggle so much to produce fruit in our life. And at the same time, we look at churches that genuinely trust in Jesus and we see real transformation. And yet, sadly, we still see often corruption as well. And we are just so saddened by the abuse that, that, that we sometimes hear of, of church leaders who have led these lively churches. There is still very much a feeling of not yet. And we still sense that old, corrupt, dead religion in our hearts and in our church. And yet Jesus says to take heart, to trust in God, and to pray. You know, this is exactly how it all looked on Good Friday, as Jesus hung there on the cross. It looked like the end of God's kingdom, and it looked like the victory of corrupt, dead religion. It looked like there was no great reset at all. But nothing could be further from the truth. And on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, triumphant. And that is our hope as well. And so this week, in the lead up to Easter, I want to encourage you, trust in God and pray believing in God. Believing in Jesus' promise of the great reset. Loving Father, we thank you that Jesus brings you the great reset. We thank you that he ushers in your kingdom and he brings an end to old, dead, corrupt religion by dying on the cross and rising again. Father, we pray that this would happen now in our lives, that your kingdom will continue to advance as people turn to you and that dead religion would be taken away from our hearts and from our churches. And at the same time, Lord, we pray for that wonderful day when Jesus will return and your kingdom will be fully established on earth. We long for that day. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.